Welcome back to the um, Home Bible Study Podcast. Uh, it's been a while, so I'm very excited to be back in the Word and um, to be, you know, studying with you. I've done a lot of study to kind of get ahead because there's some uh, very deep things that are coming up. Uh, chapter 11, it, we're currently in chapter Hebrews chapter 10, by the way. Uh, we're going to be studying verse 32. The things that are coming up in chapter 11, I'm very excited about because it's always been one of the one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible, and particularly in this letter to the Hebrews. So I've been doing a lot of study to prepare for that. Uh, but we have our today's lesson to consider. Uh, let's do a little review so that we can kind of get caught up to where we are now. Um, this is what I like to call, this part of the letter is a call to remembrance. Hebrews 10, chapter 32. Now, just to review, beginning way back in verse 24 of chapter 10, uh, we were given some exhortations. Uh, exhortation is just a fancy word for instruction or a call to action or encouragement. So in um, back in uh, verse 24 of chapter 10, we were told to consider one another, to provoke unto love and to good works. And to that's the positive side. And the negative side is to not forsake or avoid fellowship. Now, this is really important in the age that we live now, particularly with uh, COVID and all the impact that it's had on just our ability to assemble. I was talking to a friend of mine about it, and um, it's really important that we can assemble together. And um, I was telling this particular person that because of the challenges that we face right now, I was really encouraged to make this podcast because there are people who cannot um, fellowship in a church setting. Uh, there are people that are shut in. There are people in remote locations that need the encouragement, the instruction and the fellowship of the word. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish in my small way to contribute to those individuals um, in those circumstances. And technology has allowed us to circumvent um, a lot of gathering together, but I certainly do not encourage us to forsake the gathering together. I think we need to utilize technology uh, as simple as a phone call, you know, being able to talk to uh, one another, being able to share with one another what's happening uh, in our lives, what the Lord is doing and how he's working and to use our gifts, uh, the gifts that we've been given to uh, provoke one another unto love and good works. Um, so it's, I certainly embrace this uh, exhortation that we've been given because I know that we have a need uh, of one another we're all one body and we're all different members of that body and each member has a function has a purpose so that that entire body can function and work together and so we definitely need to help support uh, each other in this life that's devoted to the Lord Jesus you know that's our testimony and our testimony gives us opportunity to minister to others about you know what we just learned about the wrath of God very important uh, ministry uh, that we've been called to amongst other things uh, the writer went into a lot of detail about the fate of all who forsake this era of grace the grace that God has extended to men in Jesus Christ and it's a terrible fate you know it's not something that I would wish upon anyone, but it is the reality uh, for anyone who forsakes this grace, uh, they're actually em embracing the full justice 
of hell and the lake of fire. But we're encouraged that all those who uh, are called uh, will be uh, justified and they will be uh, placed in Christ, the, the only place of safety. And so we rejoice in that. And we don't know who those people are. We're not instructed to try to figure out who those people are. We're instructed to proclaim the gospel, to live a life that's a testimony. And God sorts out everything else. He is the only righteous one who can. So now um, we're beginning in verse 32 of chapter 10. And there's a transition. Uh, there's a transition, I think, from the previous uh, chapters of a lot of doctrinal teaching. And now we're transitioning into kind of the uh, basic tenets of life, you know, the application, the life application of how to live and how to live out these, this doctrinal instruction that we've been given. How do you live in the light of these truths? Uh, and that's where we're getting into now in this section. So without further delay, Let's uh, read uh, verse 32 together. And if you have your Bibles open, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. And I'm reading from the King James Version. But call to remembrance the former days, in which, after ye were limit, illuminated, uh, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. So here it is. He's, there's a transition that's happening. He was just talking about, you know, the wrath of God and what that means. And uh, now we're transitioning away from that ministry to uh, something that's, that was applicated to like, you know, a broad group. Now it becomes a little more personal. Now the writer is talking in contrast to those things. Um, and he says, uses the, the word, but that is where we see that transition or that contrast from speaking about wrath to something else and that something else is a call to remembrance and this happens quite a bit in scripture there's a lot of calling to remembrance and it makes me believe that it's because we forget so easily we need to be reminded of a lot of things and that's where the study of the word comes in where god the holy spirit reminds us and um stirs up our uh, our soul to remember the things that are important that we forget so easily. So it's, it is key to our success. I think in this life as believers that we remember things, uh, we're on a practical level. We're bombarded with so much, uh, constant information from different places that we get easily distracted. You know, it's it's just the basic truth of the human nature. So we have to be reminded or set back to our true north, our purpose, you know. And what is that? Well, it's to serve Jesus in our heavenly calling. That's what we've been seeing throughout this letter. You know, you have a heavenly calling and to serve the Lord Jesus. And we need to be reminded and focused on that. I think oftentimes in the Bible, we're encouraged to remember um, because we're just prone to be short-sighted and we forget things easily. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, for example, Ecclesiastes 1.11, it says, there is no remembrance of former things um, because it's true. Um, you know, as time goes on, even through documented history, that is documented history through a filter of time and different perspectives. And there's a lot of things that we forget, you know. Um, I mentioned COVID earlier. Uh, in the beginning of um, the century, uh, I guess not this century, but the one just we just looked past, there was a uh, outbreak, you know, um, and that uh, plague affected the entire earth. Uh, the world as we knew it and nobody thought about that for years but now that we're facing that again and we're having to deal with it 
now we remember. So it's easy for us to forget, forget things, even if they have a huge impact on the world. So um, that's just our nature. I think it's part of our old nature, I should say, you know, as we have two natures, one the old nature and one the new nature in Christ. Our old nature is, uh, it's good at remembering certain things, but uh, very easily forgets things as well. So we tend to, I think, when it has to do with sin and uh, the effects of sin in our lives, I think the further we get away from some you know, sin that we've committed, the less impact it has on our memory. And sometimes I think we even romanticize sin, you know, and we forget the damage that came from that. And that's, that's because we've gotten too far from the word of God. And that's a, a sign of an unhealthy Christian life. And, you know, no one should walk around um, regretting or uh, being sorrowful about past sins because we're pressing forward to a mark of the high calling. But we certainly need to learn the lessons that uh, come from falling down and being picked up. We need, to, we need to learn from those lessons so that we don't continuously fall. So that's, that's very important. And I think um, it's important to, to God uh, if you look at Ezekiel 23, um, verses 20 and 21, he's talking about the nation Israel, and he's talking about um, this kind of very uh, trapping of sin and, and the way that uh, we can forget things. Verse 20, it says, For she doted upon their paramours, whose flesh is as the flesh of asses, and whose issue is like the issue of horses. Uh, thus thou callest to remember the lewdness of thy youth and the bruising thy teats by the Egyptians for the destruction of your youth. So uh, the example is made of Israel and how Israel quickly forgot about all the things that they suffered from the Egyptians in Egypt, in Egypt and how God delivered them, but they were always looking back to Egypt, you know, they would always look back in kind of a romanticized way and they wouldn't think about all the other things that happened and why God had to deliver them from Egypt in the first place. So this is part of human nature. That's that's kind of part of what one of our big failings that we need um, the word of God to strengthen us and encourage us through. But in verse 32, it says, uh, but uh, call to remembrance. So there we have the, the, the main focus of this verse. It's a call for us to remember. And God wants us to remember things that are helpful, that will strengthen and encourage us and help us in this life. So here the author is calling us to remember the grace of God in delivering us from sin and shame and the darkness of unbelief. He's calling us to look back to a time before we were saved, and then shortly after. And all the things that are associated with being called out of darkness into light. And it says, but call to remember the former days. Um, the former days, I think, is kind of a play on words. That this, this, this writer is uh, kind of playing on the whole letter to the Hebrews because Think about how many times we've been told to look back at the former days and um, the, when, when uh, the nation Israel was delivered from Egypt and how that they received the law and all the, how the law has now been replaced by um, the high priest of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry, how that he has now uh, brought in uh, a new dispensation, you know, a new testament that's centered in Christ and not in the tabernacle, not in the priestly service. So this whole letter has been kind of looking back to the former days to understand where we are now, because you cannot disregard those things. It says in the Bible that those things were recorded 
for us, for our benefit. So he's kind of playing on that. And he's saying to, but uh, call to remembrance the former days. And now he's going to give us some detail. What former days are you talking about? Specifically, are you talking about in general? What former days? Well, he tells us, he says, the former days in which after ye were illuminated. So this tells us the when. So look back to after you were illuminated, not before you were saved. Nobody wants to remember those days. There's not a lot of um, reason to dwell on the days before you were illuminated. You were in darkness. You were spiritually dead. So, you know, not a lot of value there. But what is he talking about when he says after you were illuminated? What does this word illuminated mean? So I went and looked it up so that I could get an accurate uh, definition. And it says uh, it's a word that means uh, to be given light or to be enlightened. And this is not just any kind of light. This is the light of salvation. This is the transformation that happens upon a positive response to hearing the gospel message. That is the illumination that we're talking about. Um, it was when you went from darkness to light. And the best example I can think of this that makes it just really easy to, to really grab hold of the full meaning of what this uh, illumination means is in the life of Paul. Uh, when he was on the road to Damascus, and when he was still Saul of Tarsus, uh, he journeyed, you know, from town to town, hell bent on killing those who followed Jesus. He would go um, identify who these people are, and then he would go back to uh, get uh, the authority to kill these people. Um, and he was very efficient at it, and he was very devoted and dedicated to this purpose. Um, because he hated God. He hated everything that had to do with God. But the twist is that he thought he was doing it on behalf of God. But uh, on that road to Damascus, there was a light that shined around about him. Um, like a, it says like a light from heaven. And it says, and Jesus spoke to him changing his life forever you know and that's what happens to us we jesus speaks to us in the gospel he speaks to us in his word and it's life changing um i was watching um scrolling through tiktoks and um i saw one where this lady was very sincere and she said you know what that God that you have in your brain, that that thought that there's an anthropomorphic being who's God in heaven ruling over all things, that's just in your mind. It's not real. And the truth is, is to her, Jesus isn't real. God isn't real to them, not the God of the Bible. And she's being perfectly honest because unless Jesus speaks to you unless he illuminates you through salvation you cannot know him or anything about him you can hear things about him but you cannot know him the word that says that that has associated with uh, Adam and Eve when it says that Adam knew his wife that's an intimate knowledge right that's an intimate knowledge that a man knows of a woman that a husband knows his wife uh, that's a special kind of knowledge when it says that Adam knew Eve and then she you know had children so there's another verse where there's a bunch of people that uh, Jesus used a parable and he says they come to him and uh, they say Hey, you know, we did all these things in your name. We cast out demons and we did all these things in your name. Um, and he says, go to the utter darkness of hell because I never knew you. That's the same word that's used for 
Adam knowing Eve. It's an intimate knowledge. And until you're illuminated, until this intimate relationship is established with the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot know him. But thank God he has in his grace and mercy revealed himself to those whom he wants to know him in that way. That those whom he wants to have that intimate relationship with. And there's no way to know him apart from that. But thankfully, Paul did. Paul was on that with on that other group. He was in that, you know, going down that other road uh, away from God, and God stepped in and intervened. Paul didn't do anything. There was no action on the part of Paul to initiate this relationship. All of the action, all of the power, all of the activity was initiated by God, as it, as it always is. God always initiates the relationship and establish it. And that's what he did for Paul, and that's what he does for every believer. He illuminates us and makes he gives us light. The light that is the Lord Jesus. He gives us life. That's why it's called a new birth. So all believers experience this illumination. It's pretty standard, you know. Uh, it's a, They ex experience it in a very personal and specific way. So each one of us who are saved can give a testimony of what our life was before we were saved and then after. For some people, like Paul, it's very dramatic. Why? Because they need it to be very dramatic. They need the comfort and the knowledge of a dramatic uh, salvation. Uh, my personal experience, it was pretty dramatic. Uh, so I can relate to that. But there's also people that it's a little more subtle. It's, it's the way the Bible describes it is that Jesus through God the Holy Spirit, woos you into this relationship. So it can be very subtle and very gradual, uh, kind of, but there's always a point of illumination that you can look back and say, that's when I could see the word of God. That's when I knew the word of God was real. And that's when I, that relationship with the Lord Jesus was truly established. This is the illumination that we experience. So Jesus customizes our illumination, right, to each of us. But the method is always the same, and that's the gospel message. There's no other way to know or to be saved other than through the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That is it. Right. So no matter how you experience that illumination, it's always going to be through the um, the means, uh, the method of hearing the gospel. That is how uh, we are saved. So some experiences, though, they be uh, uh, all of us kind of has a personal and specific kind of uh experience in a lot of ways in the way that you know we come to this point but some of those experiences are very much shared there are some that are common to the process of becoming illuminated it's because we live in a world that is diametrically opposed to god and to his word so once you are alive and the majority of the world around you is dead well then you're going to have a similar experience to other people who were dead and became alive. And they're living around people who were spiritually dead. So some of those experiences are shared, uh, even though the circumstances may be different. And that's what the writer is kind of pointing to here in verse 32. So there's a call to remembrance of the former days, specifically uh, after which you were illuminated. Something happened to you. It happened to Paul. It happened to me. And it's going to happen to everyone who is uh, made alive or illuminated in Christ um, 
after they're saved. Some of those experiences are common. And I think they're common because we need that commonality of experience because it draws us closer together, right? It's very personal, but when you find other people who have experienced the same thing, it's kind of a bonding agent. So uh, the writer here is pointing now to this common experience. Well, what is that common experience? Um, the common experience is listed as uh, ye endured a great flight of afflictions. So think back to when you were first saved. Do you remember a time of feeling alone? Um, some people are fortunate enough that they're saved around a bunch of other saved people and they have kind of a um, it would be kind of like a water birth, right? So you go from, you know, one environment to another environment that's kind of similar, and then they kind of ease you into it. But those, most people, I would say the majority of people are going to experience uh, the world outside of that kind of comfort zone of protection. Uh, it might be in school. It might be at work. Uh, where any type of social interaction, there's going to be a difference in how you engage with those who are unsaved. And they're going to notice a difference in you. And that's the experience that the writer is calling us to remember. He says that uh, ye endured a great fight of affliction. So if we want to if we want to be specific to the people that he is writing to, that would be the Jews. And once they turned away from Judaism, from temple worship, from offering sacrifices, because they're like, hey, we don't need to do that anymore. Jesus Christ, the Messiah has come and he has fulfilled that. The majority of the people around them were not happy with that. Because they didn't believe. They didn't have this intimate relationship with Christ. So they just knew him as Jesus, the one that was killed on the cross. And now we can't find his body. Right. And yeah, he was a great teacher. And, you know, thousands and thousands flocked to him. But he certainly wasn't God. You know, that was the mentality. And they're saying, no, that was our Messiah that we killed. And those two things don't sit well with a Hebrew person that you would kill the Messiah. That, that caused, you know, anger and resentment. And, and, they, and they felt like that these Christians were a sect that was pulling away from the traditions that made the Hebrews a nation in the first place. So you can see the conflict that they must have experienced. I mean, they had businesses and nobody would support their business. They, you had uh, uh, children that neglected their parents, parents that turned away from their children because they followed Christ, because they embraced the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. So they were experiencing some severe, severe hardships. And, you know, they, they couldn't earn a living. Uh, they didn't have the support of their family. They were excommunicated. Uh, it was very, very hard. And you can only imagine what that must be like when you're considered a traitor to your culture, to your own culture. How that, you know, the, the camaraderie that you find in culture, in your ethnicity, Right. Even though other ethnicities like the Romans and other would hated the Jews, they found a comfort amongst one another. But now they don't even have that. And so this was summed up in the words, a great fight of afflictions. So I'm not able to properly capture how challenging that must have been. But but I can say 
from my personal experience. And I bet you, you could tell me some things about your personal experience about how it was when you were first saved. And me, I mean, I certainly, uh, since it was such a dramatic change, literally overnight, um, no one that was close to me knew how to accept that. You know, I got a lot of, you know, that's good that you want to go to church and everything, but, you know, you're kind of taking this too far. I mean, you got to be careful. You can't become a fanatic, but that's what Jesus makes us. You know, that's what we are. Uh, he's God. How can you not give God who's given you everything, all of yourself? And so, you know, there's a lot of people that turned away from me. Uh, people who I love very dearly and were very close to me completely shunned me. They didn't want to have anything else to do with me. But all that did was make me to rely on the Lord Jesus even more. That's what it did. It forced me into a situation where I had to learn to trust him and lean on him even more. And I think that's why that happens. And if you look back, I think you'll see the same thing probably happen to you. And so that's what he's calling us to remember. So is this strange? You know, is that something that I think is unique to just my experience or these Hebrew people? No, because throughout the Bible, it says that this is normal. This is the normal experience. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It doesn't say might suffer persecution or it could happen, be on the lookout. It says that it is a definite thing that will happen. And it's what we've been called to. You know, we look back in this wonderful letter that tells us about the, all the wonderful things that await us in heaven and from this heavenly calling and how that we have an eternity before us that is so wondrous that our minds can barely conceive of the things that await us. In fact, our imaginations are not capable of it apart from the word of God instructing us and giving us the context, but still we can't even uh, come close, you know, but now in this life, this life is associated with being soldiers. Uh, this life is a life that's filled with conflict. We are in a world, but we are not to be of the world. So there's a challenge in living that life. And the only way it can be done is by faith, by trusting the Lord Jesus. But it's inevitable that we will suffer persecution. It, it's, it's part of what's here for us. So he's the, the, the writer is saying, after you were illuminated, you endured. That's, I, th I think we have to be careful not to, not to move past that word. Because he says, you were illuminated. That's all of us. And then it says, you endured. We have endured. We are enduring. We will continue to endure. That's something that we have to understand is a part of our journey here. Endurance leads to patience. And we all need patience. We have to be patient in order to be successful in serving the Lord Jesus. It is a key attribute to our success in becoming those good and faithful servants that we've been called to. We have to endure. Nobody likes to endure. I don't like to endure. I can tell you right now, I don't enjoy it. But what I do enjoy is the fruit that comes from it. Because it's like going to the gym and working out for the first time. And you lift heavy weights and then you're sore. Everything hurts. Everything. And you want to stop and you don't want to move forward. But you have to keep going. 
And what happens over time is that, wait a minute, now I'm not, I go to do the same workout and I'm not as sore anymore. My recovery time is a lot shorter and I get to feeling stronger and I can do more and I'm able to accomplish more and I enjoy the fruit of the work that I put in, the, that I endured through the pain. And that's the same thing um, in this Christian life, that we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer things that are devastating. We're going to suffer things that are discouraging. Uh, but the, all of those things are going to work out in us the patience that we need to serve the Lord better. And that's how we have to look at it. And the wonderful thing is, is that I don't care what you're enduring, okay, what is happening to you right now, or what you will experience, it's filtered through the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So imagine Jesus has a strainer. He has this giant strainer. And you got all these really hard things that are coming right at you. And he puts that strainer up, and that's his love. And he takes a lot of the pain and the suffering that you would have experienced, he takes it upon himself. He did that upon the cross. He did that in his life when he lived here. And you only get just enough to yield the fruit that's needed. And you may feel like, well, this is a lot, you know, this feels like way more than just enough, but God knows. And that's why we're encouraged to consider him, consider his love and how that he would never let anything harm you. He would only bring things in your life that are necessary. And he's going to bring the bare minimum of suffering so that you can, so that it accomplishes in you the endurance and the patience needed to do the work that he has purpose for you to do, for me to do. So, we definitely need to remember that, that after we were illuminated, we endured. And what did we endure? We endured a great fight. <laughs> so what is this great fight? Well, that great fight is unique to you and it's unique to me, right? Each one of us has a great fight. This life that we live from the point of illumination to when we stand before him at the Bema, that's our great fight. And what that great fight entails, well, that's particular to your journey, particular to my journey. But the good thing is, is that we have one another. We can encourage one another to love and good deeds. When, when we see another brother or sister that's you know enduring and it's getting heavy, we have the ability to go and make that burden just a little lighter with the gifts that we have. Whatever gifts that you have that God has given you in the Lord Jesus Christ that manifest through God the Holy Spirit, those gifts are intended to help others endure as well as yourself. And they have gifts to share with you to help you endure. So uh, that's the benefit, but we still have the truth is we have this great fight and that great fight looks different for everyone. But to sum up what that great fight is, the easiest way that I could think of, and I do this all the time, I always try to take huge concepts and bring them to their, um, into like a easily digested, um, smaller bite, right? And I know I take away from those concepts sometimes when I do that, but it's because I want to um, convey the meaning as simply as I can, because I feel like that is a challenge for anybody who's teaching. So to sum up this great fight, Satan and the powers of darkness, the world, the flesh and the devil, the world who's against you, the flesh that. That's the old man that wants to creep up and do the old things that we know that are unrighteous and not good, that cause us to stumble and get in our way, and the devil, the enemy of all who, uh, who's, who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus. That is the great fight summed up.
and we all experience it. It's common to each of us. So the answer to that is Jesus. To, to think on these things, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is right, whatsoever, whatever is of good report, think on these things. All of that points to Jesus. The same, you can say that same thing this way, consider Jesus. When you're in that great fight, when you're struggling, when you're faced with difficult situations, keep your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Think about all that he's done for you and is doing for you at this very moment. Think about his ever-present ministry through God the Holy Spirit to hold you up and call out to him whatever you need. He has it. His grace is sufficient to help through this great fight because the great fight is not going anywhere. But we can learn to endure and we can gain patience and strength through this great fight. So it has a purpose and that purpose is accomplished in the Lord Jesus will for your life, for my life. And again, it's a great fight of afflictions. We know what afflictions are, don't we? Nobody needs to, for that to be explained or defined. We all know afflictions and we experience them and it's a part of this life that we live. The writer is telling us to think back to the joy and astonishment of hearing the Lord Jesus speak to you for the first time. That's the illumination. Don't, don't go so fast through these, through these verses that you miss that. That's what he, when he says illumination, he said, I want you to think back to how that felt when Jesus first spoke to you. And remember the gospel message and the joy of finally having a personal application to your life. The impact that that had on you when you realized that, oh, it's not just that Jesus actually was here, that he actually rose from the dead. He did all of that for me. He was thinking of me. He had me in his mind when he endured all those things. That's what he's telling us to do when he says, after you're illuminated, he wants you to remember that. But also remember the suffering uh, that came to you from friends and family, maybe some husbands or wives, when they were in opposition to you immediately after. So you have this kind of weird thing going on where you were enamored in the joy of the Lord Jesus in having him to have this intimate relationship with him. But at the same time, you had all these outward pressures that came along with that. And that was our introduction to uh, this new illuminated life. Uh, remember how you no longer wanted to do the things that maybe the world wanted to do and that you were so different in your motivation. Uh, you wanted to talk about Jesus. You wanted to talk about the Bible and how astonishing and amazed you were and how this whole world of truth was opened up to you. But these things weren't always welcome by those who are still yet unilluminated, uh, those who had not experienced his salvation grace. And that led to this great flight of afflictions. You know, the Hebrew believers experienced this as they were alienated by friends and family. So this, this letter, this verse must have really struck home to those who ex had experienced this firsthand. And this was pretty recent that they had been experiencing this. The, the persecution that was happening at the, in the church in Jerusalem is well documented. You know, they lost the privileges that, you know, we take for granted. Their businesses were um, pretty much destroyed. They had no one to support them. Um, they had abandoned the temple worship because it was no longer necessary. Um, 
And you had people like Paul at that time who was seeking to kill them. Okay. Uh, a lot of people, and myself included, believe that Paul is the one that wrote this letter. Uh, and here it is, the power of God that would take the one who was trying to kill them and cause them so much pain. And now he's the one that God uses to give them so much light. But it was a difficult time. And it's the same thing today. Um, it's the same. Nothing has changed. Uh, those who believe in the Lord Jesus will never find acceptance in this world because the world is diametrically opposed to the righteousness of God. As long as you choose to walk in the spirit, that's the key. It has to be a conscious effort on a daily basis to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus because we have arrows flying everywhere, from everywhere, directly towards us. So we have to, like the uh, early part of the letter to Hebrews said, we have to walk in the spirit. It's very important that we feed the, the God, the Holy Spirit, and and through our study of the word and our meditation, our prayer, so that we walk in a way that is uh, powerful and uh, a way of those who endure and are patient and have hope because all of these things feed our spiritual lives and our spiritual growth, even the word of God. To walk in the spirit means that you, by, by the way you live your life, will be in direct opposition to this world. That's just, that's just how it works. You will be known as much by what you do as by what you do not do, right? Because the world is watching us and they don't like the testimony of righteousness because it makes, it convicts them of sin. So that's not a pleasant feeling. So their natural reaction, uh, the natural man reacts very negatively to that. But it's very important that we not focus on them or what they do or what they think. We're to focus on the Lord Jesus and our heavenly calling. And he'll take care of everything else. Because we were called to be a witness. We're either a witness unto life or a witness unto death. But we're going to be a witness. The world is okay with running headlong into sin. In fact, they want to create an environment that allows them to enjoy their sin without any interruption, without uh, anyone um, saying anything contrary to them. They want to establish a world, um, a state a country, uh, an office setting, a school classroom that allows them to embrace sin freely. That is what their goal is. And we're to, as believers, take a stand for what is right. And that is a stand against sin. That's not a stand against sinners. Don't confuse that. Just because you take a stand against sin does not mean you're taking a stand against sinners. Because guess what? We're just saved sinners. And we should have the compassion and understanding to be able to look beyond the, the world and how they treat us. I know that's hard. It's hard for me. But we have to be able to overcome that because they can't. We've been equipped with the word of God. We know the truth. We have God, the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. And so we, we have to be understanding and compassionate towards these people, knowing that apart from the grace of God, we would be doing the same thing. Does that mean we support them in what they're doing? No, but we definitely need to be understanding 
and to seek opportunity to share with them what's happened to us, how the God has made us to see. And make sure you always keep in mind, and when you minister to people, you minister from a perspective of, hey, I know exactly how you feel. Even though you don't know how I feel, I know how you feel. But, but, but God has illuminated me. He has accomplished something in me that I desire for him to accomplish in you as well. And let me tell you about what he's done in my life. It's as simple as that. And God will use that to minister and to call other people out of darkness into his wonderful light. So that's what we should do as believers. We take a stand. That's how you take a stand. It's as simple as that. It's not anything super dramatic that you have to do. It's just uh, keep your eyes on the Lord. Live a life that's pleasing to him. And when he gives you opportunity to share with people what he's done for you, just share it. And you'll be amazed at what God does with that. But we can't get past the fact that there is affliction that we're going to experience. The kind of affliction that's spoken of here comes from speaking out on behalf of Jesus and his word and speaking against sin. And your personal testimony should involve that. Because, you know, you don't have to point the finger at anyone else. You can just talk about your own, how the Lord delivered you from your sin. And how that he's shown you the joy, the, the, the joyful expectation of being in heaven and never having to struggle with sin again. The shame um, and all the things, the negative things that are associated with the sin nature. This is the life that we've been called to. And I know this is not one of those verses that makes you jump up for joy and, you know, want to start shouting. I get that. Uh, it's not fun to experience these things. But I hope that we can see that there's a commonality. You know, there's a commonality of experience that it's not something that's you're suffering on your own or that's unique to you. I believe that's what the flesh wants you to think. And, and in that way, affliction can discourage you and to really put you in a dark place. But if we see affliction as something that is coming from the Lord Jesus, that's filtered through his love and that has a purpose in our lives, I think then it works in us this endurance and it gives us, that leads to this patience that we need. Now, if we want to talk about affliction, sure, we can, we can go into the details about the um, saints in Jerusalem and what they experienced. But I think since we started off with Paul and his illumination, let's take a look at some of the things that Paul experienced in his Christian life. And I think if we compare that to the things that we experience, we'll see that, you know, what we've experienced is not so bad. Now, I don't know. Somebody may be listening or hear this that has experienced exactly what Paul experienced. But even if that's the case, know that, again, you're not alone and that these things are coming to you for a purpose. They worked in the life of Paul a great purpose. He's has one of the greatest testimonies of life, of Christian life, that is recorded in Scripture and is directly associated, to some, associated with the things that he experienced. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.25, he lists some of those things. He says, Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned to death. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. I spent a night and a day uh, in the deep. So that means he spent a night in the ocean, not a lake, uh, in the ocean alone, and a day in the ocean alone, just floating. <laughs> I 
I can't imagine anything more more horrible, you know, for me. I can't even imagine it. But he experienced all these things for a purpose. And they are, or they did work out in him to make him and shape him into the person who could write these beautiful letters to us. These letters that we cling to even, you know, thousands of years later, you know. Um, what is it that these afflictions are going to work out in your life? I don't know. But I know that there's a purpose. And I know that that purpose is going to be accomplished in you. And it's going to be something that's going to be glorious. And it's going to glorify the Lord Jesus. So like I said, I'm not sure what your experience has been. I can't speak on behalf of anybody but myself. But I knew, I do know that Jesus has always been with you to comfort you, to comfort you in the wounds that you may experience, whether they be physical or, or emotional. He's there to comfort you through God, the Holy Spirit and his word. And he's going to use that affliction to shape you into his servant, the servant he wants you to be. He's doing that even now while you're listening to, to this, this message. So we all won't experience the same trials and afflictions, no. But we will all experience them. That is something that's common to us. But unlike those who are unsaved, who when they experience challenging things, it doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't do anything to make them a better person. You know, and even if they learn from it, they're not going to gain an eternal weight of glory. It doesn't do anything to glorify the Lord Jesus when they learn things. But uh, with us, it does. We should be excited in a way that whatever we're going through, whatever we're experiencing is going to shape us into a better servant. And it's also glorifying the Lord Jesus. Even if we don't understand how or why, we just know from the word that it is. And the how and the why will be filled in at some point. So we can't focus on that. We should focus on the one whom we're suffering these things for. I believe that these afflictions will keep us focused on Jesus. That they're given to us to teach us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And they also cause us to rely on God the Holy Spirit. And the, the grace that's in Christ um, to be able to endure. So it's good, I think, for us to have this call to remembrance. It's good for us to remember the former days of back when we were first illuminated. I think that's healthy. And it's one of those good things that we're instructed to think on. Um, it's part of how we consider Jesus. And these things remind us of all that Jesus has done to bring us to where we are now. To remind us that when things come up, you know, Jesus can handle it. He can get us through this. He's done it so many times in the past. But we always think this time is just the worst. This time it's just, it looks super dark and there's no way. But he's always faithful to get us through. Remember that. And having done all things, you stand and endure and gain the patience, the patience of the saints that allows us to have a witness and a testimony to a world that is going nuts, that's freaking out and they have no answers. Whereas we have the stability and the anchor of soul of Jesus. And when they see that, it opens up an opportunity for us to testify and to witness. How is that possible? How can you not be going crazy right now? Because I know Jesus is here on this boat with me. So I can rest no matter what the seas look like. No matter how much this boat gets tossed and is about to be torn to pieces, Jesus is here with me. And his purpose is going to be done. And all of this is filtered through his love for me. That's a powerful witness and a testimony of faith. And I pray that all of us 
are able to have that. Let's close. Father, thank you for this word, for these instructions that come from this letter to the Hebrews and how that you make sense of things that we couldn't understand otherwise. How that you bring things into our lives that um, are challenging for us, but always with a purpose. And Father, I pray that you would make us to respond positively to all of your instruction and that we would glorify you in the way that we live our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.